0: Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, a podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics and talks about issues related to tax news. I'm your host, Omid Farouzi, Professor of Practice and Director of the Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic at Temple Law School. I wanted to take an opportunity here over the course of the next several episodes to share with you some interviews that I conducted of colleagues and students of mine at the Temple Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic. The interviews that I did with colleagues are interviews that I conducted at the annual low income taxpayer clinic conference in Washington DC in December 2023 and at the ABA tax section conference in San Francisco in January 2024. To start off in this series, we will be hearing from Rob Nassau, the director of the Syracuse Law Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic. Rob, thanks for joining us.
1: Sure, thanks for asking me.
0: So when did you start uh, teaching the Low-Income Taxpayer Clinic?
1: So I was there from the start, which was the fall of 2002. It was not my idea at all. I was an adjunct at Syracuse, teaching doctrinal tax classes, and um, somebody learned about the grant program, so... Syracuse applied and um, we got the grant. And there was a gentleman, also an adjunct, but he was kind of the driving force, guy named Sherm Levy. He was the driving force behind getting the grant and he was an alum. And somehow he and I wound up being the directors. And he was the director who was supposed to know a lot and I was the director who was supposed to do a lot. So we were the co-directors for a few years, starting in 2002. And then four or five years later, Mr. Levy retired, and then I was the sole director. So I've been the sole director since 2006 or seven. So this is my 22nd year in the clinic.
0: And in the time that you've been in the clinic there for these last 22 years, what are some of the most notable or interesting changes that you've seen versus from when you started? Uh, I know that we had some technological advancements uh, and of course we've seen uh, various tax laws passed, but what are some of the kind of big things that you've noticed that that have been different from when you started?
1: That's a good question. I think that maybe the most useful change since when I started was how it's much easier for clients to find us. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2002, there weren't any stuffer letters that would tell taxpayers if you have a problem, you might want to contact your local LITC. So um, it was hard to find clients. We had to do a lot of publicity Mm -hmm. and a lot of reach-out, outreach. Um, Now it's easier because every client... um, gets the suffer letter saying maybe you want to contact a clinic, and the tax court sends pro se litigants, pro se petitioners to the various clinics. So that's been an improvement. Um, That might be the one off the top of my head I can come up with.
0: So in the time that you've been working in this field, I know that you have gained some expertise in some particular areas like refunds, Uh, you had a really good presentation on refunds and refund lawsuits for the Center for Taxpayer Rights over the summer and I, and I was grateful to use your materials so how did you develop that expertise in particular and there are, are there other areas of tax law where you feel that you've especially gained a lot of good knowledge and experience?
1: Um, so yes, I, I, I do think that the Syracuse Tax Clinic over the years has probably filed more District Court and Court of Federal Claims refund suits than maybe any other clinic. Uh, I'm not sure how we started. Uh, I guess I got, we had a few clients whose only possible recourse was going to Federal District Court. So Mm -hmm. they missed their tax court deadline and they didn't have the greatest documentation for an audit reconsideration. So the only way for them to get their money would, was to go to district court, so I guess I learned the hoops one had to jump through to get jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've started filing them. Um, we don't file a lot of them, maybe one a year, mm-hmm. one and a half a year. Um, they've always been. Well, I think I can think of one instance where it didn't go well. Um, I think we hadn't done our best job of ensuring that we had the whole story before we filed. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, as with tax court you get a live human assigned to your case, a DOJ attorney, and you know, we've never had a trial in the district court. Um, well, I take it back. We, the, the Court of Federal Claims case um, involves the legal issue about personal exemptions for non-resident aliens. So that one, we had an oral argument on over the summer and waiting to see what happens with that.
0: How did that go, the oral argument?
1: (laughs) I thought it went well. My perception is that the judge was not necessarily buying what we were selling. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm curious to see what the opinion says and, um, you know, can always appeal if we don't agree with the judge's reasoning and feel like there's some Appealable issues.
0: So this is when you filed in court of federal claims. You said, right. okay,
1: right. Um, so beside refund claims, uh, we've helped uh, again consistent with that personal exemption for non-resident aliens. We have a lot of um, farm worker clients. Mm-hmm. So got, gotten pretty knowledgeable about sort of the itin process and helping um, farm workers with their issues. Um, some identity verification stuff. Lately, we I've gotten we've gotten a lot of prisoner uh-huh. um, stimulus payment cases. Um, I feel like the stimulus the stimulus payment when you mentioned earlier about you know things that you new things over the course of twenty two years. I think the the pandemic was of course a unique instance, um, and then the stimulus payments was a great opportunity to have some sort of interesting legal issues that you know we were all on the you know frontier of so that was fun
0: that's well, that's one way to put it <laughs> but it definitely involved some new issues so in Syracuse you're up there I know you're in a high tax state in New York so do you ever have cases where you're dealing with state income tax issues where you're trying to help people out and get them into payment plans or other kinds of collection alternatives so
1: New York State's not the friendliest state in terms of collection alternatives, um, so we haven't had much success there. And and we did go through an era, we had a few cases where um, we had clients and the state was trying to take their driver's license. Um, they seem to have stopped doing that as aggressively as they used to. Um, but often the federal matters sort of flop over into being state matters right with EITC type issues um, some income verification issues Mm -hmm. Uh, got a great prisoner case at the moment the first prisoner I got um, turned out he got all of his stimulus payments but all of that money was sent to New York State okay fine Um, why did it get sent to New York State well apparently he owes money to New York State from 2009 but he's been in prison for 30 years. (laughs) Oh, wow, okay. So there's some kind of identity theft, identity fraud going on that created this one year of tax liability. The only tax return filed for him ever in New York State with this one year. And it's like pulling teeth to try to get the state to recognize um, that this isn't the guy. Like, he's in prison. It's not his return. Yeah. Um, And the state's been... Sort of hard to deal with. So we just filed last week. We filed um, a refund suit in the Tax Appeals Tribunal of New York State, kind of the tax court version of New York State. So hopefully there we'll get some live humans to talk to who will be reasonable. Right.
0: So now, in the uh, time that you've been teaching this course, you have of course taught probably dozens and dozens of students and so I really am curious to hear from you as a now that I've just started as a professor what are some of your tips and suggestions in terms of things you've learned along the way as you've adapted and and gotten more experience as an instructor Uh,
1: (laughs) that's a good question so as you know like in the tax area it's Things move very slowly, uh-huh. so there are deadlines. You know, you've got, you got there are deadlines, but often there aren't. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of time to get things done, and a lot of students are happy to fill all of the time with doing very little, if you let them. So you have to, and maybe the students at Temple are more, um, you know, diligent. But um, it's it can be a struggle to sort of get the people to um, really want to work hard and get things <clears throat> done and um, I'm not the best at like I need to be better personally at saying well we need this done by next Thursday even though it's not due for five months well let's get it done by next Thursday um, so you know stay on top of the students like make sure they're if they're if they're lazy don't let don't let them be lazy uh,
0: that, yeah that, that, that's that seems like good advice and And so now when you, uh, before to kind of go back chronologically here, so before you started at uh, Syracuse Law, were you teaching uh, before that? Were you practicing in tax before you started uh, running the tax clinic there?
1: So I was a tax associate in New York City out of law school for a few years, and then uh, moved from New York City to Rochester, New York, and I was a sort of uh, of counsel tax lawyer to a midsize firm there, which was not a full-time proposition because mm-hmm. there was just not a lot of tax work um, to be done. And I kind of fell into adjunct teaching at Syracuse. Um, I had done some adjunct teaching at Yale Law School and then I fell into it at Syracuse um, teaching doctrinal classes um, and I became kind of the devil they knew um, so whenever some new doctrinal class needed to be taught, well, let's have Rob do it. Let's not bother with hiring anybody else. <laughs> so that worked to my advantage so that when the tax clinic opportunity came, yeah, Rob's here. He can, he can probably help out with that. And again, I know you have millions of people listening to this. I was, probably, I was definitely not the best qualified person for the job by any stretch of the imagination. I was marginally qualified. And if they had done some kind of diligent national search for the clinic director, I would never have gotten the job. (laughs) Um, And now, I think when Syracuse hires people, they do national searches no matter what. So I benefited from the fact that I was the devil they knew. And we did have this gentleman, Mr. Levy, who who did know a lot about controversy Mm -hmm. work. So I learned a lot from him. And again, just doing it. You, know, you, you learn a lot and it's a great experience.
0: but you you were a tax associate before so you had that tax experience
1: right not in controversy. Oh, I understand sort of in transactional um, transactional you know business tax. so I um, had never dealt I think I, th- I think the one time in my Rochester career that I dealt with an IRS controversy, was a helping a uh, person who owned a laundromat and he was audited about his income and he'd reported, I don't know, $10,000 of income and the IRS said, oh no, it must be more like 100,000. Mm-hmm. And I still remember the, the, the interesting part was that the IRS had gotten this laundromat's water bill. So it knew how many gallons of water had come through this laundromat so they could extrapolate from the volume of water to how many loads of laundry had been presumably (laughs) done. I thought it was brilliant and you know their math made it seem like, yeah, maybe you guy made a lot more than ten thousand dollars. So we were able to reach a settlement somewhere in the middle.
0: That's fascinating. (laughs) That was
1: my only litigation, tax litigation experience.
0: Now, have you as a professor gotten any uh, uh, significant uh, publications done under your belt? Uh, have, is there a kind of an expectation that you write in, at Syracuse Law?
1: No, not, if, not at my, you know, I'm a teaching professor. Um, I don't have a scholarship requirement. Um, I do help out with the effectively representing mm-hmm. volume. of updated that three or four times. Um, I guess the one um, sort of significant scholarship, I did publish something in the Syracuse Law Review about about the change in the regulations for transferring a qualifying child from the custodial parent to the non-custodial parent. Prior to 2009, Um, The non-custodial parent could sometimes use a a court order to say, hey, the court has said I can take the child, Um, but then the regulation said, no, no more court orders. We just want the Form 8332. Mm -hmm. I think that's the number. Um, And I thought that was a bad change, so I wrote a law review article about saying that was a bad change. Um, I'm pretty lazy. Like I have ideas. If I... If I had to produce some scholarship, mm-hmm. I'm confident I could do it. I have what I think are good ideas that I don't want to tell you because you might steal them, <laughs> but I've never, I haven't done them yet. Most of them, but they're out there. So maybe, you know, I can become a gentleman scholar after retirement, you know, running the, as you know, like running a clinic is a lot of work, yeah. like a lot of stress. Um, I teach a doctrinal class. That's not a lot of work or a lot of stress, but it's more work. Um, I guess I don't have the passion for publication that other people might have. Um, it's nice when it's over and you have something in print. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have? Do you have to do
0: it? No, I I don't have that expectation. I'm not tenure track, uh, but you know I've done like you have written for effectively representing and for procedurally taxing. Right. Uh, Among other things here and there like that, Uh, but you know it's something I'm potentially interested in, so we'll see. But I'll definitely read your law review article. I'll look at that (laughs) and see. uh, Yeah, Um,
1: I think I've I've read that it was most law review articles are never cited in a case, Mm -hmm. and mine was cited in a tax court opinion. Oh wow! Um, And most law review articles are never cited. Um, I think Michelle Drumble who's also a yeah. clinic director. She wrote a book all about tax credits, and I think she put my article in a footnote there. So um, I think the tax the tax court judge who cited my article, he was somebody who was an associate with me a million years ago in, in New York City. So he's kind of an acquaintance. Right. So I think he kind of did that. You know, I don't think it was critical that he cite my article, <laughs> <laughs> but he thought, oh, this will be nice for Rob, and it is. Like I, I was able to show my mom and everybody. Um, so, but someday, um, I think in retirement, I'd rather try to write a really good mystery novel than write more like tax scholarship. And I have a good idea for a mystery novel, which I'm also not going to share with you because you'll steal it, but we'll see. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Rob, thank you so much all for right, joining all us. All right. Appreciate Very nice. It. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. You can visit our website at taxjusticewarriors.com. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers or people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as legal advice. Consult with your tax professional if you seek specific advice. There are now three things that are certain in life. Death, taxes, and your subscription to the Tax Justice Warriors podcast.